want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. The gates of hell. Some folks have been a little worried that it might get sulfuric in here this morning, but that's not my plan, that's not my direction. I'm excited about where we're going. We have been preparing our hearts, we have been preparing our minds for the Easter season. And uh, today we want to look at the spiritual battles that are waged during the life and ministry of Jesus. The fight that went on between light and darkness. Look at the promises that look look at the promise that the enemy of our souls will be neutralized by Jesus and his work on the cross. It's a very stressful and threatening thing to have a gang move into your community, a gang that has illegitimate authority and to take over the area in which you live. In our church family, we have people who could tell of marauding gangs that ran roughshod over the law and thumbed their nose at authority and felt that they had a right to to take anything from anyone in the community that they come from. People live in such fear uh, of such a scenario and, and gangs arrive at your business or arrive at the front door of your home and demand that you give them money or that you give up goods or that you give them service and you dare not deny deny their request. In those kinds of communities, you can't pick up a phone and, and call the authorities because they have found that they don't hold the answer to taking back the streets and making their citizens feel safe again. Fear is a constant. Hope is gone. And it seems that thugs gain more power, more influence, more strength each and every day. This is the story of how the devil has operated since the Garden of Eden. Through man's disobedience, Satan gained access to the authority as a squatter. Scripture declares that the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it belongs to him. However, because of sin, doors were left open and access has been gained and the wicked one has run a worldwide gang operation. A scheme that Satan put in place in the hope that he will overturn the rulership of God and that he will run and ruin the world. There are areas of of history, there are times and places that one would be tempted to believe that that was not only possible, but that it was reality. Our text today is not only true and accurate, but it's full of hope. It's full of life, of light, of good news, of great news. We begin in Matthew chapter 16, where there... Are just a couple of we- where we were just a couple of weeks back. The question is familiar. Political and religious leaders are asking, who is this one called Jesus? Why is he here? What is he up to? And so Jesus uh, takes his disciples and, and he gets them aside and he starts with this question. You've been out in the streets. You've been talking to people. Who is it that people say that I am? And you'll recall we talked about that, that answer a couple of weeks back. Uh, the, the, they said, well, some think that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And others think you're the reincarnated Elijah. And others think that you're a powerful teacher or a prophet for our times. But 
Jesus, no one is absolutely sure who you are. And, and then Jesus focuses on the followers uh, and the disciples, and he says, who do you think that I am? Who is it that you say that I am? The answer is most important, and that's where we pick up our text, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God, the Son of the living God. Peter stands up and he answers for everyone, for all of the disciples, based on what we've seen, based on what we've heard, all that we've experienced. I'm willing to say with certainty that you are the Messiah. You are the promised deliverer of our people. You are no less than the Son of the living God. You are our hope. You are our light. You are the answer to all of our questions. You're the power of God revealed. You are equal in standing to God because you are like your father. You are his son. And all that God has in him has been revealed through you. And you are more than a teacher. And you're more than a prophet. And you're more than anything we've ever known before. You are the message of God to us, his people. That's what he says. Jesus affirms that this is both true and it's accurate and that Peter and the rest have not just reached that conclusion because of their history, because of their experience with him, but that the Holy Spirit has led them, has convinced them that this is accurate and true. The truth of who Jesus is becomes the foundation that brings us to the next truth. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The, the spiritual history and the biography that you carry on your life will have, uh, help you interpret this verse in one of three ways. S some of you will say that Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. And so he was speaking of, of Peter as the foundation of the church because he was the one who understood, who got who Jesus was. However, Jesus uses in this verse two Greek words that are different for rocks. I, I, I love Peter and I think that his story is inspirational and it's relatable, but there is no... He's no different than I am. He's no different than you are. So, so when we see the hatred, when we see the, the power of hell released against the church in the next days and centuries, you want something better than a man, even a good man like Peter, to be the foundation. When Jesus spoke to Peter, he called him Petros, which is a fragment of a big rock. And when he spoke of the foundation that the church was to be built on, he spoke of Petra, a little different. And, and, and that means a boulder, a foundation stone. And so I don't believe that Peter is the rock. So, some will believe that Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the one sent by God. That, that, and that's a good understanding in that Peter is the first of, of many stones in the construction of the church that Jesus is going to use to build his church. So it fits better, but it doesn't fit fully. The third and the best option, in my opinion, is that Jesus himself is the foundation. 
Who you said I am is what I will build my church on. I am Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one of God. I I am the son of the supreme, undefeated, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God. All of God's power has been given to me, both heavenly power and authority here on earth. And with that strength, with that authority, I will build my church, he says. I want to pull your attention to two important facets of this unveiling, of this revelation about the church. The first is that it is Christ who will create, who will build, who will design and determine what the church is going to look like. As the founder, as the sustainer of the church, he determines what the church is, how it conducts itself, and says what it believes, where it goes, what it does. It is he, he is the founder. And, and since shortly after its inception, there have been people who thought that they could determine the, the course, the, the doctrine of the church, who was and who wasn't allowed to join, what it believes and decides not to believe. But I want to tell you this, the true church, the only church does not have denominational names on it or an exclusive right to decide who is and who is not a part of it. The church has as its head the Lord Jesus Christ. And and its doctrine is what is found here in the Word of God. And its direction is determined by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And its membership are made up of those who have confessed with their mouths the Lord Jesus Christ and have believed in their heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And because of that confession, because of that belief, they have been born again. That's the church. That's the church. Anything else is a decrepit, powerless, discredited counterfeit. Jesus builds the church. Jesus builds the church. The the second is a powerful statement of ownership. Jesus says that I'm about to release, what, what I'm about to build is my church. Ownership is a vital part of entity. We own a 2015 Toyota Corolla. We decide when it's used and how it's maintained and what it looks like on the inside and on the outside. If if you do something to my Toyota that goes against my wishes, it becomes vandalism or theft or destruction of property, and I have the full weight of the law behind me, and we're coming after you if you touch my Toyota. It's my Toyota, our Toyota. Jesus says, I will build the church, and the church was, the church is, the church always will be mine and mine alone. Ownership gives legal authority, gives power to the title holder. That's important, and we'll see why as we come through this study together. Having made some of those vital announcements about the church, he then turns to his followers, and he says something that seems a little unusual. I will build my church, and you need to know this, he says. The gates of hell will not prevail. Or a more modern phrase, the gates of hell will not overcome it. From the beginning of human history, there has been an ongoing battle between the God of heaven and Satan. 
God starts with creation and he installs man into, the, into a beautiful garden and everything that they could ever want was made available to them. And the enemy comes and he perverts, he destroys that life through his deception and through his manipulation. At that point, God promises that while there will be plenty for a penalty for that sin that will be paid by all of succeeding generations, that one day the seed of the woman will produce a son and that son will crush the head of the serpent. And from that point on, Satan determines, tries to discern where that son will come from and he decides that he will destroy the plan and render God's promise and plan to be broken and unworkable. He starts with killing male babies at the time of Moses' uh, Moses' life. And then he inspires Herod at the birth of Jesus to do exactly the same thing. The Gospels record that there are no less than six attempts by the Jewish authorities to take the life of Jesus. The thug of darkness, the great deceiver himself deceived, attempts to derail the one and only plan that God had to save the world. Jesus says, I will build a powerful force on the earth. It will be my church. And I promise you that the gates of hell, the power, the hatred of hell, will not be able to subdue it, will not be able to destroy it. He's speaking immediately of of death. I'm about to die, he says earlier in that chapter, but death won't, won't stop this. Hell will attempt to kill me in the belief that this will destroy the launch of the, te- of the church. Death will not subdue, overcome, or destroy the church. However, it also means a lot more than that. The church will be attacked. The church will be tortured and hated and reviled and slandered and will struggle not only from the attacks that originate on the outside, but from weakness, from compromise, from sin, rotten decay on the inside. And, and here is my promise, says the Lord. The gates of hell will not be able to destroy the church, will not be able to limit the church or push it into a deep ditch where it will be regarded as ineffective and irrelevant. The church will come with such a strength and such a power that it will push back the enemy. It will retrieve lost territory. It will make the kingdoms that are uh, held by the prince of this world, the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen and amen and amen. Let it be, he says. Let it be. Jesus is fully aware of the strength and of the hatred that's infused in the determination of his enemy. He's not unaware of of Satan's strength and of his cunning. He, He has all the information, all the insight into what is going on, yet he boldly declares that this is a fight that Satan will lose and that he will lose very badly. Verse four, or continuing on, we forget that Jesus has a history that began before his birth in Bethlehem. In the beginning of human history, the living word, a title that Jesus was given by God, already existed, and the word was with God, and the word was equal to God. 
The plan of God was designed in partnership with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it was decided that Jesus would give up his divine privileges, that he would take on the humble position of a slave, and he would be born as a human being. And he would humble himself, himself in obedience to God and die a criminal's death on the cross. And there... There is this whole history that goes on in heaven before he even comes to earth. But when he comes to earth in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has sent out a small missions group to surrounding towns and villages. And they come back with the reports of what's gone on. And it says there that when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, it was a good trip. Even the demons Obey us when we use your name. And Jesus lets a, a pregnant moment sit for a moment. And then he says, yes, but you need to hear me. You need to understand that I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will in, injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. D don't get caught up in, in what you can do to Satan and his workers. The authority and the power of my name was given to you so that you could crush his works. The emphasis is not the em enemy. The emphasis is that you are a part of the name that not only crushes demons but has caused you to be a part and made a part of the family of God. That's the emphasis. The telling, telling line was I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was there. I am a first-hand witness. The Bible tells us quite a bit about angels, but there are only three names that are given to us of three individual angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And Exodus chapter 28 records that the pride and the sin corrupted Lucifer's wisdom and he was cast down and he was exposed as helpless and defiled by his lust for gain and doomed to be destroyed. And Jesus said, I saw firsthand. I was a witness to all of that. I know his hatred. I know his destructive tendencies. I know the source of his anger and his vice. I'm not ignorant in any way of his ability or his strategies. I was there when he fell from heaven like lightning. It's important to realize that in order for, for Jesus to be effectively able to pay the price for our sin, to be aware of our, our plight and our fight, he had to experience the attack of the devil in the weakness that is our own condition. And Hebrews says that this high priest, this one called Jesus, understands our weakness. For he has faced all the same testings we do, yet... He did not sin. So that allows us to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So at the very start of Jesus' ministry, we read that the Holy Spirit 
led Jesus into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted, tested, to see if he could make it through the trial without falling and failing. For those 40 days that Jesus fasted and prayed, and he becomes very hungry when when he was at his weakest, when, when he was as weak as one can be and still be alive, the devil comes and tempts him. Tempts him three times. Offered him the ability to make food for his starved body. Asked Jesus to prove his identity by having God supernaturally protect, save him from a jump off the highest part of the temple. Offering to give him territory and possessions that he did not own if Jesus would give Satan all of his worship. To each and every temptation, Jesus responded to the lie, to the insinuation of the evil one with the truth of God's word. The job of Satan at that moment was to disqualify Jesus from being a sinless sacrifice. And he failed. He failed miserably, and, and Luke reports that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity presents itself. It was an ongoing attempt to, to destroy the reputation, the effectiveness, the sinlessness of Jesus as our Savior. But the promise is, I will build my church and hell won't win over it. Much of the ministry of Jesus was given to people who were sick, who were, who were tormented by demon activity. It was a regular part of, of people coming to him, hearts shredded, pocketbooks empty because they have spent everything they have to find relief, and yet no one has had the power to deal with the torment, with the anguish that Satan has unleashed at their family. There's the boy whose father comes with him to Jesus and presents him to Jesus and says, there's an evil spirit that's out to destroy my son. When he's near a fire, he pushes him in, trying to get him to burn to death. When he goes by water, he tries to drown him there. Matthew records just one of, of many incidents that occurred in the ministry of Jesus. It says there, a gentle woman who, who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David, my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. She came and she worshipped and pleaded again, Lord, help me. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus is acquainted with the activity of Satan, of his gang, and he knows that they're at work terrorizing neighborhoods of the nation with all sorts of activity. In, in 2022, in our enlightened society, demon activity is something that is not recognized or believed. It, it, it's treated like the foolishness of ancient societies that didn't know any better. But that's not what Scripture says. 19 out of the 27 New Testament books address the person and the works of the devil. What's more, every author of the New Testament books talks about the devil, 
about his corruption. Jesus himself talks 15 times about the devil. This is not mythology. This is a darkness that runs roughshod over our work and human and spiritual relationships. Satan is a powerful foe, but Jesus says that we don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be victimized because Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell and the power behind those gates will not, cannot prevail or overpower the kingdom of God. Paul tells Timothy, God has not given you, young man, the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of a sound mind. By this example and ministry of Jesus, prove that the tempter is a powerful yet limited being and that greater is the God who dwells in you, empowers and leads you than this one who lives and roams the earth. Hell will not prevail. Throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, there's this constant stress, this constant tension between the the needs of desperate people and the, the pain and the anguish that comes from the hatred of hell expressed through people who are owned and operated by the devil himself. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the Passover by telling them that in just two days, he will be arrested and crucified, but he will rise again. However, at that very time that he's speaking to his own disciples, Matthew records that the leading priests and the elders are are meeting at a residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and to kill him. They say not during the Passover celebration or people may riot. That was going on all the time. Constantly relentlessly throughout his ministry, Satan sent men to test, to discredit, to destroy Jesus, his reputation, his authority, his credibility. However, at the time of the arrest of Jesus, Satan says, take off all the limitations, take off all the holds. Let everything that we have be released and aimed at Jesus. Matthew 26 talks about the betrayal of Judas, about the abandonment of every one of his disciples during his greatest hour of need. Chapter 27 talks about how the due process of law is pushed aside and ignored and and lying witnesses were given false testimony so that the murder could happen before the Passover. A, A notorious prisoner was offered up and he was released by the crowd as a Passover concession. And, and the man that was guilty goes free while the man that is innocent, Jesus, is sentenced to death. Pilate's wife sends Pilate a, a note, leave that innocent man alone. I had a terrible nightmare about him last night. And I know that I know that I know that he's innocent. But Pilate bent to the will of the crowd. He washes his hands of the whole matter. I have nothing to do with it. This is your choice. This is your your decision. I release myself of any guilt over this situation. And this is what the people yelled back. We will take responsibility for his death. We 
and our children. Only hell could in inspire that kind of mortgaging of the next generation to such a sin. Jesus, innocent and with no formal charges proved, was flogged with a lead-tipped whip. And then he's turned over to the Roman squad that's in charge of crucifixion and the most painful, horrendous death imaginable begins. The Romans used it to keep order in the occupied territories, but it's a horrible death, the worst death imaginable, a death that is dreamt up in the pit of hell. Jesus was mocked and he was assaulted. He was taunted and ridiculed. That went on until the Roman soldiers were bored and then they led him away to be crucified. There's no way to express or explain the horrors of the cross. Nailed in the wrists and through the feet, his body sags to the place where it's too hard to breathe, but he pushes himself up for a gasp of air. The crowd carried on the abuse. The religious hierarchy joined in and they scoffed and spoke sacrilege. Even other revolutionaries who were, who were being crucified on that day with him mock him. This didn't go on at other crucifixions. Usually they were very quiet, solemn affairs. Only to Jesus. Every bit of hate that hell had is aimed and released at Jesus. But perhaps the most difficult part of that entire day was the sense of abandonment that came over him at his darkest hour as he calls my father God. Why have you too abandoned? Why have you too forsaken me? The scriptures are, are so careful not to go into the details of his suffering, of, of his torment, because there are no words that could adequately paint the picture of that kind of suffering. It, it was the full release of hell's hatred to the one who had been called the hope of the world. It, it was hell's understanding that they were going to win, that the Son of God was about to die, and that there was no hope of his return. However, verse 30 of John chapter 19, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This, this bitter Drink was given to Jesus in the final moments. A, a drink that was meant to cut through the desert-like thirst that not only filled his mouth but racked his body, consumed his entire being as he now, very dehydrated and suffering excruciating pain, it appears to be the darkest, the most defeated moment in human history. Evil seems to be about to be triumphant. Darkness has overcome light, so it would appear. But Jesus strengthens the, summons the strength to rise up and to announce these three words, it is finished. Hell thought that that meant his defeat, their victory. 
Hale thought that that the power had shifted and that their king, their leader, would soon rise to a, a place of supremacy and rule. And the battle was over and they were new conquerors. Hale thought it was finished, was a cry of surrender and defeat. However, it is finished means something much different to Jesus than it does to Satan in that moment. The prophetic word of promise is, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not be able to do anything to advance against it, to stop it or to hinder it. The rule of terror ends here. It ends now. The squatter's rights of the devil are hereby revoked. Inch by inch, heart by heart, home by home, city by city, nation by nation, we will establish the reign and rule of our God and of his kingdom, and they, he will reign forever and forever and forever and forever. It is finished. It's a, it's a victory challenge. Satan, your lies are swallowed up by the absolute truth. Your threat of death and destruction are discombobulated by the resurrection and the life. Your power and authority as the prince of the power of the air is made null and void by the king that is above every king, the Lord that is higher than any Lord. Ruler of darkness, meet the light. Wicked one, bow down to the one that is called righteous and just. Enemy, you have met your match in the victorious Christ. It is finished. The gates of hell have been pushed over and the cleanup operation to rescue and recover prisoners of war has begun. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He not only speaks to Peter before his arrest, but he speaks to the rest of the disciples and to everyone who belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. I give you the keys of authority and of power. The keys to the victorious kingdom of heaven. Here's how it works. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask shall be done. If you bind up something on earth, then it will be bound up in heaven. If you loose something on earth, then it will be loosed in heaven. Satan, you no longer have rights to enforce your will and your way. The control reverts to the church that is founded and belongs to Jesus. When, when Satan says... Famine and want spread across the land. My church is empowered to stand up and say, we release the provision of heaven and there will be more than enough in Jesus' name. When when sin seems to be in control and, and tying people up, the people of God have the right, have the authority to declare that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to release the captives and set them free in the name of Jesus. It is not their talent, it's not their ability that makes it so. It's the price that was paid by the sinless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and release, releases life through the finished work of the cross. 
But they, my church, are empowered to take territory. They are empowered to restore peace. They are empowered to free prisoners, to release liberty, to heal the sick, and to allow joy to come and change the atmospheres of lives, of homes, of cities, of nations. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come back and they'd get ready to play the second song that you played this morning. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. It's our season to respond to the promise of Jesus. And it's time to push back on the gates of hell. The kingdoms of this world are now becoming the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, I know for some who are hearing my voice this morning that this is a positional statement rather than reality for you right now today. There, There is need and there is want and there is difficulty in many lives right now in our church. There are divisions in families and in relationships. The destroyer is is threatening lives in this room and the people that are important to us. There's stress. there's, There's struggle at every turn. Darkness seems to be getting the upper hand. Good guys seem to be coming in last. Hope seems to be a scarce commodity. Truth seems to be a casualty of the war. Fear and anxiety are at an all-time high. Depression and discouragement are rampant in people everywhere. So so whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you believe it or not, the truth is Jesus is the victor and hell is in retreat and the enemy will be destroyed. That is truth. That is truth. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you just to take that line and just to memorize it and to speak it over the situations and the times of your your life right now. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome, overcome it. So where you are right now, take this line of John's biography of Jesus and start to speak it. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what you feel. He is the truth. Jesus is the light in your situation. And that light is greater than the darkness. And the darkness cannot, will not overcome it. I have some truth to declare over you and over the battles that you were fighting this morning. The disappointments that Satan has brought into your life are about to become God's divine appointments because we know that all things work together for good to those that are called by him and called according to his purposes. To those who live and experience constant despair, I declare that though we are pressed on every side by troubles, we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in us. It's not over yet. Hang on to the lights. To those who are being assaulted by unbelief this morning, 
trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God, Hebrews chapter 3 says. To those who are being distracted, being pushed off the primary in order that you would chase the unnecessary. Keep your focus, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He will take you to victory. To those who are falling into a place where you believe and participate in division, in discord, Remember, you're not fighting flesh and blood enemies, but you're fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the ministry of not destruction, but of reconciliation. I prophesy this morning we're going to see some coming together of people that we thought were impossible to come together. We're going to see men whose hearts were hardened against God soften and bow their knee and declare that He is Lord. We're going to see prodigals come back. It's our job. It's our right. It's our ability to say, hell, you've had them long enough. We're pushing back. I speak the peace. I speak the hope of Jesus to every home, to every relationship, to those who are in a battle with disease. I remind you that his name is Great Physician and that, Paul, that Luke says that everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. That's not me saying that. That's the record of, of history. Jesus healed everyone that was brought to him. I refuse to settle for less. I refuse. When it comes to sin, when it comes to Satan's lies and his deceit, his attacks and his defilements, church, it's time to become obstinately obstinately resistant and to position ourselves in the place where God can fulfill the words of Romans chapter 16 verse 20 through your life, through my life, through this his church the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We're taking territory. We're taking territory. The gates of hell have had sway long enough. We now have the power to push them back inch by inch. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May the darkness that has been around be swallowed up in the light because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has no power, has no ability to steal it away. Will you stand with me? I want you just to put your hands up and your voice and say, Jesus, I'm here. I want to be part of the program. I want to be in the rescue and recovery of those who've been held captive. I, I want to push back on the gates. I want you to start to declare light has come to your family, has come to your situation, has come to your... As they sing, I want you to start declaring light and life over your situation, over your over your circumstances right now in the name of Jesus.